HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is October 2019. We're at a special event at uh, Top Hops, the great beer shop on Orchard Street in the Lower East Side. You can hear people laughing. We turn off the music, but it's a crazy place. But the reason we're here is that it's uh, not only is it Josh Bernstein's, uh, you know, his book, new book. Josh, introduce yourself. I can never n- remember the names of your books. It's okay. There's so many. There's it, so many. It's Jimmy. Not even my parents care anymore, so it's totally fine. Hello, I'm Josh. We're here at Top Ops. Uh, Drink Better Beer, fifth book, which just keep on writing. It feels like you don't stop and you stay alive, it feels like, in this world. But anyway, excited to have an event tonight at Athletic Brewing. We're really going to be talking about the rise of non-alcoholic beer and if people can actually understand the difference between N.A. beer and regular beer with a blind taste test. Bill? Wait, who are you? Oh my, yeah, who oh my is this guy, Josh? So many people are laughing now. We're so excited to be here. Uh, this is Bill from Athletic Brewing. Really excited to be here. Super thankful for Ted for hosting us tonight. He's been one of our biggest supporters right from the start. And to have Dan here as well, um, right from when we were hand-delivering beer, guys who supported us right off the ground. So super thankful. It's great having you because we're going to talk a lot about your, your brand. And Ted. Hi. Thanks, for everybody. Thanks everybody, for coming down to Top Hops today for, the, uh, for Jimmy's radio show. Really looking forward to this. Uh, always love when I get a chance to get on one of Jimmy's radio shows. And thanks for Bill coming down and, and Josh for writing another book. Gosh, I did it. <laughs> I did it. And what about Dan? Dan, we're not going li- yep, yep. to forget about you, Dan. Dan. I need a microphone. Sorry. Here we go. Here we go. Two mics now. Uh, yeah, I was, was an early adopter of uh, Athletic when they started distributing in New York City, so I was excited to be a part of this. Uh, excited to be... Uh, check out your book, Josh. I have... Uh, the Complete Beer Course is one of my favorite beer books, so I'm excited to, uh, to, to, to read this one as so well. So a lot of fear then. Am I going to hold up to pass expectations and hopeful hopes? I, from what I understand, I listened quickly to your appearance on um, Augie Carton's show. Oh, uh, yeah. This, this book's kind of a little bit more of a step forward and kind of more of your voice and more of your opinion, which I'm excited about, because I think 
think the beer course is a really good like overarching thing. And I, when people say, "What should I do to get into beer?" I'm like, "Read this book," because it was a con- kind of modern take. Uh, so I'm excited mm-hmm. to see your your new version or new. Yeah, new I just think the industry has changed whole cloth in the last five to seven years, and I mean it is. I mean where we buy beer, how we buy beer, you know. Yeah, Ted, I, mean, but- I, I think of when I was when Beer Karma was a twinkle in, in, in sort of my eye to what I do now. It's a completely different uh, concept. You know what I mean? Of yeah. what I have to do to sell beer and be a part of the beer community and beer world. Just so you know, like catching up on new releases, all the new brands out there, getting people in the door, finding events, you know, how do you turn beer? How do you get people excited? And it's just it's a lot more to think about in this day and age, too. And it's just, I think, with, uh, and Bill as well, too, I mean, NA beer was just like, you know, Odul's party time, or actually not so party time back in the day. <laughs> and, you know, and I mean, I think what what's interesting tonight is that we talk about uh, non-alcoholic beer, and it used to be sort of about, you know... It was just kind of what was there. It was kind of like, oh, you don't like can't eat burgers? Let's like have this sort of like Boca Burger puck that was like frozen in the back of the fridge, you know, for the freezer forever. And I think NA beer is a lot of the same way too. That it was just sort of like, hey, you can't drink, so you know, we got water or this one thing that kind of tastes like this thing that was there. But I mean, there was really not a flavor, not a lot of reason to draw you to it. So I think what you guys have done is really take the promise of what flavor and craft means and bring it to uh, the NA sphere. Let's let's go to Bill. Bill. Why did you start this? Do you not drink beer? Um, tell us your background and why, why you got behind a, a non-alcoholic beer company. Yeah, 100%. And it really came out of a love of beer. I'd gone to college up in Vermont um, in the early 2000s. Just incredible craft beer popping up. I was right in the middle of it at Middlebury. Um, Otter Creek was a quarter mile down the street from my office, off-campus house. Um, I lived in the city for 10 years, loved craft beer, scouting everything that came into the city. Um, but just as I was turning 30, I found myself drinking a little less for, at certain times, going to work events. I was starting to do a lot more getting into my fitness. But really, it was just just turning 30 and moderating a bit and realized all these occasions that beer, that alcohol didn't fit as well in my life, but I really wanted a good beer. So, Ted, I read that you said um, one thing about having the athletic on tap is that you're saying that some people will come in and, and drink a variety of craft beers, and sometimes they might also drink the athletic as well. Right. Well, they'll come. They'll they'll come in. You know, maybe they'll have a double IPA uh, or you know a stout or something. And and when they they'll switch off uh, to the NA draft beer, um, as sort of like a pacer beer. You know, have one or two of those, and then maybe they might switch back to you know a hazy IPA or something like that. Um, and I mean, you know, a big part of it is that we do have it on draft, so they're not just going back and looking at the NA. Uh, you know, a couple of any selections in the bottles. Um, and psychologically, the people just like to have another draft beer. Um, and the, the, they're really good styles of beer really and really good representations of those styles and delicious tasting beers. So they're, they're, uh, the, the customers are more than happy to, to have one of those kind of as a placeholder. Um, just to add to that, we're at, on the athletic side, as we were trying to break into New York City, we're super thankful for people like Ted and Dan, who I know it is an education leap and a customer leap to try a non-alcoholic beer on draft, um, and to have someone or people whose voices are so respected in the New York beer scene, being able to talk in an educated manner about the styles of beer that we're emulating um, has, was super helpful right from the right from the start. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I think one of the things that made your 
non-alcoholic beer appealing to our craft customers was that it wasn't sort of malt water, which, what Josh was kind of talking about yeah. as far as O'Doul's, that it just sort of it tastes like cereal water. You, know, you have modern American styles of beer as part of your, your rotation, so you, you have the Run Wild IPA. Double Hop is the, the double hopped one, correct? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, people were, were excited about that. You, you at least get that bitter profile. Uh, you know, it's not going to emulate necessarily like another half double IPA, uh, but at least you get a bitter uh, feeling out of it. And you guess the Goza and the Stout, and it adds some variety, and that gave gives people a reason to give it a try. And, and, and you know, when they are doing the non-alcoholic thing, uh, it's something that they actually want to drink, and it's not uh, a forced uh, thing for them. Uh, yeah, that's totally what we're going for, is coming from a positive place instead of the traditional penalty box that it's been in. Mm-hmm. Um, we want something that people are super excited to come in and drink on a weeknight. And kind of like Ted said, if if people are having one stronger beer on a school night, you know, they can have two or three beers in the same establishment without leaving, but leaving feeling good. The bars keeping people having a good time for longer and the group's not necessarily leaving because one person doesn't want to drink anymore. Is this anything. a school night, Bill? <laughs> and, uh, my weeks are kind of <laughs> blending for, together. So we're at Top off, you can hear the action going on. There's paper bags being counted. I mean, t- t- <laughs> all the paper bags, Jimmy. You know, that's really the hallmark. One person laughing at paper bags showcase. We know how to we know how to get down together. But I want to I want to I want to give a little more of the retailer's perspective as we start the story on this non-alcoholic beer. So Ted, this summer I went to Essex Street Market, right. the new market, right. where I was anticipating the new Top Ops location, and I walked around a lot of, of busy vendors. And I was so proud to see your bar open, and people were at the bar drinking pints of beer. And I turned the corner, and it said it was The Athletic. And yep. there was IPAs and other styles. Tell us about that experience. We know you had problems with licensing, but right, you right. actually made it through with this beer. You almost had like an NA pop-up for like two months. So it was just like the Athletic Brewing NA pop-up. It's like, well, we got one brand we can sell. Yeah, we were, we were the uh, the tap room in New York City for uh, for Athletic. Um, it, we we threw some, uh, you know, some issues that we had with the, with, uh, the licensing. We, uh, the market opened before our license was ready. And... But we, we had to open, and, and we wanted we wanted to be open. We we wanted to have the image of you know that, that Top Ops was there, but we we could not serve regular beer, uh, a beer with alcohol in it. So uh, luckily, we had uh, had this relationship with Athletic and Bill uh, that we started in January um, when we started carrying the beers, and so. They brought down a lot of the uh, a lot of the draft beer that is usually only up at the tap room in Connecticut, and it was great because we had five uh, non-alk draft beers on for everybody to come by and, and sit down and have and uh, and have a drink, and it was you know it, it did it kept us you know we were able to keep the doors open. Yeah, what are what are the challenges of keeping it on draft? Now we've talked about this a bit in the past that the uh, NA beer it's sort of um, very it's more fragile. What makes it so fragile, and why don't you like sending it out far on draft? Yeah, for sure. So non-alcoholic beer is definitely has food safety concerns. It's raw, unpasteurized. It doesn't have the alcohol as a preservative, um, so it's especially um, vulnerable on draft. And so we really only go where we know it's going cold to cold, and we trust the retailers where it's going on. They have clean tap lines. They they taste it before they serve it. They know if anything's going on. And um, yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, we're super honored to have. It was incredibly cool to see all those beers on tap and um, to be able to help you guys do that, but also well, you guys help not, us. I didn't think about that aspect, the food safety. So it's like super fresh. There's no alcohol. I was saying there's no alcohol to preserve it, man. Alcohol is preservative. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So everyone, so in, when we approached this business, we thought the process in making non-alcoholic beer was going to be 90% of the challenge. We were like, good beer, lights on, let's start construction and gun it. And um, we really found out that process is about 40% of it and food safety is like a full half of the challenge. Um, John and I both went and got food safety degrees, uh, PCQI certifications, were FDA and TTB regulated and by the state uh, Department of Consumer Protections. And you really need to, like everyone thinks like flash pasteurization is like a kill-all. Non-alcoholic beer, it's not. It has to be farther down. You have to tunnel pasteurize and have other critical control points and food safety plans. And it's a pretty interesting regulatory hurdle to get over. And that's why we're super careful with the beer in keg. Our our canned packaged beer is tunnel pasteurized, stable, and definitely bulletproof from a safety front. So, so for people that don't know what tunnel pasteurization means, and by that I mean me. I mean, <laughs> what, 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 you don't know that, Josh. <laughs> what the heck? I mean, I didn't we write a book that. on tunnel pasteurization, Jimmy. All right. <laughs> um, sorry, I kind of breezed through that. I forgot how much time I spend in this realm. Um, we have a very nice custom Lithuanian-made machine in our brewery that um, there really aren't that many tunnel pasteurizers in the country. A lot are more on the dairy side um, for like more sensitive beverages and dairy and fruit juices. Um, some bigger breweries have tunnel pasteurizers, but it's really a mandatory thing and not alcoholic to be fully safe. Like anything can happen in these beverages, like refermentation, spoilage, or like worse, like E. coli or something. And so this is like a bulletproof, you can sleep at night solution. What's the? Oh, let's go, we're done the tunnel pasteurizer yet, Jimmy. <laughs> How much does a tunnel pasteurizer cost, and what can you use it for besides like non-alcoholic beer, which I'm sure they weren't developed with like NA beer in mind. Yeah, and some more bulge bracket beer traditionally has used tunnel over flash. Um, flash has become like craft beer's favorite as it's so small footprint. Flash is essentially um, between fermenters and bright tanks. It runs through a tight maze of piping, heats it up and cools it down, and then the beer goes to condition. And that's very common in the brewing world. Tunnel is after it's in the cans, they go down like a 40-foot conveyor and get heated up to a temperature where it doesn't affect the beer, but it's stabilizes it and then it cools it down on the back half of it that's great and what what other beverages would we be using these same type of systems is it like juices or because obviously it sounds like you're more like food production than alcohol production we are very much food and yeah the non-alcoholic world is like totally food um anything under 0.5 so um there is a lot of like raw kombucha out there too so that kind of falls in the same bucket as our keg beer but yeah it's mostly fruit juices dairy and everything and you guys can't do tours of your tap room or your brewing facility because it's a food processing plant technically correct correct when it's processing we do do small tours sometimes on weekends but um there's also uh yeah, it's just, uh, it's not the, yeah, it's just I mean, a brewery. most breweries, I mean, I think it's more interesting to go to a, a monster brewery than it is a small brewery because it's sort of like, okay, we boil the beer here, it ferments here, it breaks here, and then that's it. You know what I mean? You're kind of looking around, so, but, uh, yeah, I kind of, in speaking to Nick, your salesperson, he kind of said, like, yeah, there's that delineation from a normal tap room that you can't get a tour of it because it's actually a food processing plant, not a brewery from a legal point of view. Yeah, for sure. And it's also just not nearly as exciting as something like Two Roads down the street where it's like a super cool industrial building turned around. And I was just going to ask Dan, Dan, how many breweries do you want to tour anymore? I, mean, <laughs> I, would, see, I, would, I would want to tour like Anheuser-Busch. Like that's uh, where I, I want to go see that and see like, I mean, they have 
thousand barrel or I mean some of their lagering tanks I mean I've heard are football size long like I want to I want to see that like that's the kind of stuff I want to see like you know what I mean I don't need to see like if I go to I mean I've been to all of the, the breweries in New York City pretty much it's like you don't necessarily need to tour them and it's the same kind of silly you know, shiny stainless steel yeah, in the like, corner this one's wet this one's warm right? but like when you hear about the breweries the local breweries going from uh, oh we scaled up to our new 60 barrels and it was there were some complications early on and then you hear about thousand plus barrel fermenters it's like to me that is mind-boggling when, when you see the bottling room when you see the bottling room at uh at st louis at the at the the bud uh brewery there it's it's like dizzying the the number of bottles that are that are going through there at any one time uh and then then there's like a hiccup and bottles just start flying <laughs> off the off the conveyor belt it's just it's insane Ted, quick, what, what are we drinking you pour me something a golden road something? uh yeah uh jimmy's having a golden road we're drinking pop. beer and uh, myself and Josh are having uh, victory play action play action pills. Yep. Uh, I, I was going to ask you. Let's go back. Like, you know, this could be a question to everybody. So we're sitting here. We've all been around the bend in the beer biz for a little bit. So, like, what still excites you? What do you want to see when you go to a brewery? What still gets you kind of excited? And I guess why are you so excited about non-alcoholic beer for like a, a segue as well? For me, I, I get more excited about low alcohol beers, um, yeah. which has kind of been a cyclical thing for me as far as a beer drinker goes, where it used to be a lot more like, oh, wow, this is a 10% ABV triple IPA and a stout, whereas I get more excited about things like grisettes and table beers and, and a gratzer of sorts. Like when I see that at a brewery, I'm like, oh, I want to drink that. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the kind of stuff that I look for. So it's not necessarily, I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to get drunk these days, uh, especially with a six-week-old at home right now. Uh, the, the last thing I need is a hangover. So the more low ABV, interesting beer character I can get, the better for me oh, personally. Oh, yeah, those six, first six weeks is terrible. I forgot uh, the beginning was very bad. I think I drank more after my daughter we're, was born. We're, we're doing, I started drinking Belgian triples when my kid was born. We're doing okay. It's a little bit of a, like, last night we were supposed to have, like, a date night at home, my wife and I, and it took four hours to get her down, so we didn't get to enjoy time together necessarily, but then she slept for six hours, so it was kind of a little bit of a battle, and then we at least got through. Yeah, and I think you'll realize, I think, too, you realize i think we've we've been on the business i think that's the evolution too that you just can't <laughs> can't party like you used to and i mean for lack of a better phrase on there that was great i want to go back to the the running and the athletic part of the beer um your your background so you, you are a runner you're marketing this beer through road races and things and i really want to talk some about some of the running clubs the beer running clubs in new york city and i know that dan has one at beer karma because that's something that's new to me and it's been in my mind since um your pr people's Tried to book the show for a while, so yeah. And, uh, <laughs> no, we, no. We have to talk about yeah. beer running clubs. <laughs> well, we we actually found each other in the beer world first. Uh, Joe Callender, uh, formerly the beer coach, now known Low Joe. He's also with a great brewery, um, Captain Lawrence now, um, but awesome guy knows his stuff about beer. But um, yeah, it. Uh, I'm I'm not like an elite athlete whatsoever, but. Athletic is very much branded around our lifestyle. It's super easy to market because these are things we want to do anyway. Like the two races I sponsored last weekend, I was running in and then just pouring after. It's Happy like um, I finished about two hours after our three ambassadors who also ran the race on Sunday. It was a 50K up in Madison. But um, yeah, we love coming into the city, doing runs from, I did a run a couple months ago from Top Hops with uh, Take the Bridge, an awesome run group. Um, run, yeah, incredible <laughs> night though in the rain. Um, 
yeah, as is. I know you guys have that's, a good running scene in Brooklyn, too. Yeah, that's, well, I, that's how I got introduced to Athletic, was, was yeah. through the As Is running group. Uh, uh, ben and I from As Is are good buddies through running and beer. Tell it's me kind a little of, more about the, the running clubs. There's I mean, it's, breweries I mean, we, we get, it's, it's a fun way to, to sort of uh, loop in. It's a good community-building thing, I mean, is the best way to describe it. I mean, even for me at Beer Karma, it's because we're more beer store. I had a lot of customers that would come in, grab a four-pack, and leave. And then having the running group night on Monday nights was an opportunity for people to meet each other and hang out. So it's kind of, it's a balancing out of like, hey, we like to drink beer, but like, hey, let's work out as well. Um, that's how I got to meet Ben from As Is, and we've done a couple of events together. Uh, we actually have an event uh, next week from now, which is going to be after, it will have passed once this is aired, uh, where we do races from one of our bars, and we finish at breweries, and in order to officially finish, you have to chug a beer. But we do it alley cat style, so there's no actual race course. You just have to get from point A to point B, so you're kind of people running in the dark uh, through the streets in New York City. So it's kind of, we make it fun as far as running, where it's not just a boring 10K in Central Park. It's, hey, let's incorporate beer. Let's do beer events. Let's have brewery sponsorships and hanging out or or getting beers from out of town that don't come here. I mean, if, if I get a keg of tired Most hands... Most people like, actually want to drink alcohol. Uh, generally speaking, yes. I mean, that that's what my group is centered around. Uh, at least my, my crew is not necessarily... I, I do ultra-distance running. Uh, most of my running group people don't do ultra-distance running, so they want to do a quick workout and then have a beer. So they're not necessarily thinking like, oh, I'll do a non-alcoholic beer and then because I'm training for a marathon. That's not necessarily their uh, approach. Uh, but I get it. I mean, I, when I'm doing a, a, an ultra, you have to cut back on drinking and how you're eating and pay attention to that kind of stuff if you want to run 31 miles. Yeah, and uh, I mean, beer in general, alcoholic, non-alcoholic, has a lot of good things going on. It's full of good carbs to recover with, full of electrolytes, anti-inflammatory for your respiratory system. And it's just about, like, the positivity and the fun of a group workout and, like, hanging out at a bar you love after, drinking beer you love. And we're just trying to add, in any group of 10, adding, like, two more people to that mix. Um, we're definitely not a soapbox company. We all, everyone in our company came from the craft beer world or loves craft beer and like we're just trying to add beers to different times of the week about 15 years ago my friend of mine who was a surgeon said well you know after you work out you can drink beer or gatorade he said that the formula for gatorade was basically what beer is yeah it's you're the first person to mention anything like that yeah and i our beer like he was right. Well, we haven't done like performance tests on our beer or any expensive research surveys. We do test for, we have two kinds of electrolytes, plenty of potassium and sodium, both of which are really replenishing in our beers and I think are in like pretty much every beer. So, I want to uh, talk a little bit more about histories of like weak or small beers in different brewing cultures. Does anyone feel comfortable going into that? Maybe uh, someone that's written about. Uh, Different styles. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's what I, that's what I was kind of. I started. I, know, I, was like, I started to do yeah, that about like Grisettes, table beers, and stuff like Mertz and things like that. I mean, I think that's the kind of stuff that is is. is I was trying to. As, as I was getting at Jimmy, then you cut me off. Yeah, but it's okay. Yeah, right? Literally, that was back. that was the direction I was taking, and then I basically put a sock in it for a minute. But no, it is. I think. I mean, look. I mean, it's easy to get drunk. I mean, that's the easiest thing that anybody can do on a daily basis. It's like if you're in the beer business, it's like you know you're surrounded by excess at every turn so the goal as the goal is like how do you find your happy medium of flavor and maintaining because i mean dan's got a six-week-old kid i got a six-year-old kid it's like i can't just wake up in the morning and be like all right just like sleep it off another four hours it's like not possible so what i've been really heartened to see is just a rise of sort of um 
you know, lower alcohol beers that have a lot more flavor. You know, Session IPAs fell apart in a big way, mainly because they were just hop water. But we're seeing now a sort of this, like, turn back to Session IPAs, but hazy Session IPAs and using oats and wheat and things like that to have a fuller body, lower alcohol. Or I was at Abandoned Brewing up in the Finger Lakes over the in October, and they had, like, a 3% uh, Saison on tap. And I was, like, and, like, a 3.2% Munich Dark Lager. And I was, like, I will just spend a few minutes here drinking all of these beers. Was I missing something? No. But I was able to get back in the car and drive where I had to drive afterward. And I see this happening. I mean, unfortunately, it's not going to be something I think that's going to appeal across the board just because, I mean, look, man, we go out to have fun and people oftentimes still don't like to talk about it in the beer world, but people buy on ABV. And that's totally okay. I mean, we all have our journeys in the day you want to take it. But I mean, I'm heartened to see that there's more sort of lower alcohol options that are full of flavors so I can kind of, uh, you know, maintain. I mean, keep myself going in this business and yeah. not just but historically like there were like yeah. small beers in England you had like the second maybe I'm sure Historic- done some st- history on it Historic- like the press like the second mash historically um, there was that was more the inefficiencies the brewing equipment too I mean it was like let's dump a bunch of grain in a big thing and then keep on running water over it until we get every last sugar and oh I mean that that was just like the equipment they had I mean it wasn't like a goal it was more of using your ingredients and making them extend as much as possible historically stop and mainly because we didn't have the equipment nowadays is usually like one load of grain, one beer, and you see some second runnings, but mostly for massive stuff like barley wines, imperial stouts. So, I mean, you know, I think what we're seeing now is a more intentionality of making beers that are lower now, too. And I mean, there are always some lower strength stuff, but I said it wasn't like everyone set out to make these specifically to be like, oh, there must be a teetotaler in the mat in the mix. Let's let's cater to him. So then what about the on the other side? Yeah. So pre pro after prohibition, the three point two percent beers. Does anyone have an experience with those? Because they weren't very popular in, in, in our current times. Because nanny stated us. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with everything Josh said. And um, there's definitely the post prohibition, like either second runnings or just like scorched earth, no quality, just like near beer, what people, which wasn't even like close to near beer essentially, is what gave the category such a bad reputation over like an 80 year period in our country. But there is actually internationally like such a good beer tradition of like super sessionable beers and people like Josh, Randy Mosher, Phil Markowski speak so intelligently to those like farmhouse traditions and places that have so like for lack of a better word, traditionally had great low alcohol beer. Um, And I think the diluted 3.2% beers in our country that have been around for the past 20 years don't really speak accurately to high quality beers, but we're really trying to build on those international respected traditions by making true craft beer that just happens to be under 0.5. I know we can dive into slightly illicit conversation tones on there too, but why not? We're we're having a party with non-alcoholic beer on a a school night. So basically, essentially, so you're finding a lot of athletes are utilizing um, this too. Have you on people in other spheres, like if people want to smoke a joint and they have non-alcoholic beer, do you see that as something that's ever been... You don't have to talk about this if it gets you in regulatory hot water as well. But I mean, if that's something as well, too. One interesting thing about our business is we do have a very robust e-commerce data set. Any month, between 30 and 50% of our sales are so through no, the mail. There's no liquor license involved. Right, it's food. Right, yeah. yeah, in, food. yeah. yeah in pretty much every state. Um, it's not federally regulated by the TTB. Um, but our sales are very high coincidentally in sales that have legal cannabis. Colorado punches way above its weight. 
California, the Pacific Northwest, and it might be lifestyle, but it might also be that too. We also see a lot of the non-alcohol, sorry, a lot of the cannabis breweries, breweries are doing sort of THC infused beer like uh, Two Roots and um, Seria. They start off making THC infused sort of like non-alcoholic beer, and then they're just like, but what happens if we take the THC out and just give you non-alcoholic beer too? So we're seeing this as being a really interesting side player in the business as well too, because they're giving you the promise of non-alcoholic beer, but with a different inebriant, and now they're taking the uh, inebriant out of the equation. But legally, I know that there's an issue with cannabis being separated in on ongoing discussions about legislation and legalization there's a line between cannabis is on one side and alcohol so you're saying that you could be making cannabis non-alcoholic beer and you'd be in a different license class if you're in a cannabis legal state well yeah i don't see them yeah the ttb i don't i don't ever see federally them allowing alcohol and cannabis in the same beverages probably that'd be a big hurdle but yeah cannabis is state by state you have to be licensed in any state you do business in even if it's non-alcoholic um so dan's perked up when we talk about well, no, I think we were. Uh, I think Josh was starting to say as you were kind of crisscrossing the 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 where he was going with it. I think that it was more of the if you're drinking, people might be drinking alcoholic beer, but then smoking a joint That's separately. Too, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think yeah, you do get into the the state by state cannabis thing is a little weird. I mean, even CBD in in New York, they totally put the kibosh on it for anything that was consumed because uh, there were a lot of CBD products. I had people pitching me on CBD beers, uh, and I was like, I don't want until it's legal. I want nothing to do with it. I don't, yeah. I don't need that on my. We've gotten about fifty of those. Yeah, until I think you can tell people what it does. It's like right. you know, you have an alcohol, you know what a point zero, what a point five percent beer does or five percent beer does what does like a a three percent beer with like cbd do to you like we just don't know and i mean it's, i'm not being all kind of like something's nefarious happening but i mean i'd like to have any substance i ingest in my body i'd like to know what exactly it is and what's the right dosage no i mean we i took a you had to take a class on how how people get drunk and and sort of how to how a, what serving size and you talk about that with even cicerone stuff that boozy things are on smaller servings but yeah no one knows what the cbd serving size is and, and if it's mixed with alcohol how it's gonna feel so ted what are we drinking now okay so we just brought over the uh the athletic uh brown ale um what's the brand name of this one it's uh stump jump autumn brown it's funny i was gonna say that i'm so into brown ales this time of year so you're tell us more about the styles that you're you're making at the athletic because yeah, so i thought it would just be lager and ipa I think yeah athletic brewing right just like no not the yeah I'm a little confused about the branding as well. So tell us the full brand and the styles yeah. that you have. So, the, athletic is a, the Athletic is a sports site. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, just trying to... So, yeah, Athletic, we, we call it Athletic not to be elite and exclusive athletes, it's, uh, which I'm not. Um, it's just about to be positive, uplifting, aspirational because, like, non-alcoholic beer has not been that. Um, and we want people to have a reason to feel healthy, active, and good when they're drinking our beers and bars. Um, our two main flagships are both certified organic. They're Upside Dawn Golden Ale and Run Wild IPA, both essentially like the ultimate session beers. Um, Run Wild is our main flagship. It's a West Coast style, um, just like session IPA. IPA with five different um, Pacific Northwest hops, Citroen Mosaic, the most prominent. Um, in front of us, we have our current seasonal, which we rotate quarterly. This is a Stump Jump Autumn Brown Ale. Um, it's nice and hearty, has like almost like a touch of like redness and richness to it. Um, but it's a, a 
nice little malt blend with like the midnight wheat speaks a little bit um, out there, but definitely not hoppy. And we have limited releases we drop on the market from time to time, which you guys see and have been on tap from time to time. But we have like our freeway double IPA, our go. So the beer we're drinking. Does anyone want to say anything about the flavor profile? Um, it's not. It's nice. There's some uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing is it smells like a real beer. I mean, I think that's kind of you know you smell I mean, you blind if you smelled this you would you would think this was a typical brown ale. Uh, I mean, it's got that like light toasty roasty aroma, um, and and aroma is a big part of how you you taste beer, and I think that's part of what. Uh, you know, the actual, the overall experiences and, and making people appreciate and want to drink something like this. Yeah, I think it's like the one thing that, the only thing that would be the giveaway is sort of like the lack of like that bloomy warmth you get sometimes mm-hmm. too from when the al- alcohol warmth on the inside, which is fine, which I mean, you're only going to really notice that in the first like few beers anyway. So if you're mixing it up with like your third beer of the night, I mean, it's something I think would kind of just like easily pass by. And like at that point, you're just like drinking anyway. So it's like good to mix up. I think it's not, I mean, it is, it's got flavor. It smells like a brown ale. And I mean, that's kind of what you want to go for. You don't want to have it smell like something else or smell chemically or in a different direction. Bill, just kind of your market goals. Like you said earlier, so you're saying if there's like a party of 12 people, maybe there's two people that want to drink the non-alcoholic beer. Is that kind of the goal of the brand? Uh, Yeah. So uh, 50% of adults actually drink 0.1 alcoholic drinks or less per week. And we're trying to have yeah, but <laughs> but we're trying. You get too many free samples, Josh. But the craft beer world's incredible, and we want to help these people when they go to restaurants or go to bars have something that they're psyched to have in their hand and have fun with, and not be looking at their watch waiting to go. And um, yeah. and then Ted, so your experience when you Essex Market when you didn't have alcohol license, what were what were people's reaction to having the non-alcohol? athletic brewing beer well i'll tell you what it was a lot of fun there were there were there were times where people would come come over and be like i'm gonna have a beer and you had to you always have to give them the full explanation uh, as to what's going on because they just look at you that like you have three heads uh you know and they're you know you're like it's all non-alcoholic beer oh okay well i, I want the one that has alcohol so, no, everything is non-alcohol beer here right now. We don't have our license, but so, but then we, you know, people will be like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to try it anyway. And um, there was one guy, especially that that uh, sticks out in my mind. He came over and he said, you know, I want a beer. I said, give him the whole spiel, and uh, and he's like, nah, I'm going to pass. And I said, well, you know, here, why don't you try? Why don't you try this? You might find it interesting. He goes, all right, I'll try it, but I'm not going to find it interesting. And I'm like, okay. So I gave him the uh, the run wild, and he really didn't want to like it. The look on his face, he didn't want to like it. And then he sat down. and He goes, okay, I'll take one. He's, he's like, I can't believe that this is an on-off beer. Um, and we see that like, so we sponsored over a hundred athletic events, everything from like five Ks to Spartan races to the AVP volleyball tournaments this year, and like right here in New York. And um, we see that like a thousand times a day. We just have to get them within range so that we can get them in to try it. And like once you get beer in their hand, the hit ratio is like ninety percent. Um, but it's just about trial because non-alcoholic beer very deservingly has a terrible stigma. So um, where in the world are people, where's growth in non-alcoholic beers? Are there other countries where you've seen the stats? Yeah, something that was encouraging and easy to put in our business plan when we were starting out, when we were basing the U.S. on totally anecdotal and gut evidence, um, was that in countries like Germany, it's 15% of the beer market, and there's a real respected tradition of beer there. 15% in Spain, 10% in the U.K., um, and these are places where people have a lot of 
like a lot of like very respected drinking traditions and it's a totally normal part of culture when you get off a ski mountain and ask for a non-alcoholic beer they ask what kind and like it's a totally normal question where in the u.s it's like what what do you ask for and you have to like basically like shout non-alcoholic beer i mean i'll say for the, the bar owners when i had a bar for a long time um i always if i had a non-alcoholic beer it was a german beer and einbecker was the closest thing to good for years. I don't know what you remember, yeah, there's, Ted. There's, uh, there's a few good ones now coming out of Germany. Um, Einbecker, of course. Um, uh, Weinstefan uh, has a non-alc now. Um, there's uh, Klostauer. Um, their dry hop is pretty popular. Um, but the, uh, the the Athletic is uh, our, by far our most popular non-alcoholic beer. And on top of that, the Run Wild is our number one selling package beer for the, uh, for the bottle shop. Uh, for top hops, uh, and it has been since yeah, June. Say that again. Yes, uh, Run Wild IPA is our number one package uh, seller at top hops of everything in the store. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362 Three five three nine. But I guess a question for you then, you know, who do you see as your competitors then? I mean, every business has a competitor. I mean, it's America or capitalism. It's that. So who do you, who are you competing against? You're competing against like regular seltzer brands like uh, that, or where do you see sort of this as going up against or more traditional sort of? Because even a lot of the sort of more to, more traditional powerhouse non-alcoholic brands like Jules, who we were mocking earlier on, they're trying to change their tune and more flavor and more aroma in their beers too. Um, I almost think it's really too early for competition. I mean, a bunch of us were all out at GABF last weekend, and it's really a communal atmosphere where we're all trying to build the category together. Anyone's win is a win for the category. Uh, Eric Oddaway, the CEO of Brooklyn, who they're recently coming out with a product. Um, he's invited John, our other co-founder, myself, down to Brooklyn and spent a lot of time together to talk about the category. And he's really an incredible mentor as, like, one of the prior generation of craft brewers, like, leading us into the next generation and he's a great mentor um but also to answer your question more accurately i think the category just is like just just starting i think this is a decade-long shift that is just starting to turn and i think the real tailwind behind that is probably the sugary soft drinks more than more like we are adding occasions into the beer world in droves and i think that's coming from the traditional non-elk world and like sugary soft drinks like people who used to go out to restaurants or bars and have to ask for something off the gun are so psyched to have something that's actually premium and they're proud to drink i think that, that's a great 
description. One one thing um, for like the Brewers Association for their numbers <laughs> would not does not alcoholic beer get counted or not? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't move the. It doesn't like move the, mutters, the needle yeah. yet, but it it should. Um, I'm actually not sure. A hundred percent. But it, uh, we have been BA members. I have been personally for five years, and they're great. Like I talked to Bart and Julia, and they're, uh, yeah. It's great. We're going to wrap up soon, but um, a couple of questions. Josh, you have another question? Yeah, I'll do it. Why not? I'll do one journalism-y question for you, Bill. Why not on there, too? You know, I think we talk about the gun, you know, with the uh, soft drinks and soda, and we, we haven't really talked about stigma at all, too. And I think when you're with a group of people, they're all getting a drink, mixed drinks, and this and that, too. Then somebody gets a soda, and, I mean, it's just this visual... It's a visual stigma. It's like, oh, why are you drinking a soda? Are you pregnant? What's wrong? Like, why, why aren't you drinking tonight? So how do you think these beers, you know, quality beer like this that looks and tastes like beer tends to sort of, like, destigmatize your choice of uh, beverage for the evening? Yeah, it's, it's actually something that our customers and our community have been, like, they email us and say it's, like, a real point of pride, and they're psyched to go out into their social occasions and share it with people. And it's, it's honestly... If people hear it from their friends, it's such better marketing than from us. And, but it's really got to be product-led. Um, and the word non-alcoholic carries heavy weight. I'll say it once again. Tell us this nice brown ale that we're drinking. The full name, the name of the brewery, the name of the beer. Because I actually like it, and I'm drinking the whole glass. But they're going to be listening to this in January, Jimmy, and the beer is not going to be around anymore. So, so fair. <laughs> so yeah, fairly similar um, style, and people who don't like hoppy beers will love our all-out stout. It's like a nice, rich, coffee-like beer. We have our coffee stout on tap here tonight, also. Can you say the name of your brewery? The official name. Yeah, the Athletic Brewing Company. And what's the Instagram? Athletic Brewing. Not, not the Athletic. You probably you lost it, Jimmy. And now since well, this will be airing in January, um, dry January, is that real? Is that affecting your oh, business? It's sales? Real. There's, no, there's no joke. That don't, there's, no, there's no is it real. It, it, it hurt. I mean, it's a big thing where restaurants and bars talk about it, especially in New York City, where, where they, they lose business. Their bartenders and their, their servers lose tips because people's bills are lower. Um, and that's why, especially, restaurants and, and cocktail bars started making mocktails uh, because there's a way but for them is to Is it because generate. they're out of money or because they don't want to drink anymore? They want to make any money, Jimmy. No, 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 no. The, 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 I mean, the customers the are customers, out of money. We get people come in all the time, Jan, dry January, and I agree, Dan. It's it, it is a January is one of our slowest months of the, of the year. Everybody has, you know, everybody's got the hangover from. Uh, I mean, from thanks from Thanksgiving through through New Year's, people are eating and drinking super heavy. Yeah. Whether you get the New Year's resolutions, I mean, I definitely see where it's like my weekends tend to be busy, but like Tuesdays and Wednesdays are like crickets dead uh, because people are trying to sort of readjust after. I mean, there were several like New York Times, Wall Street Journal articles this past year, uh, kind of talking about how, how that, that culture has affected restaurants and bars, especially in New York City, where there are people that are full time bartenders and servers, so that is, yeah. their, that is their full-time job. Last January was the, dry January was the impetus for us to put Athletic on draft. I remember when, you know, mm. when Nick came in to, to push uh, Athletic draft, I, I, at first, I at first did not even think about it. I, I was like, now you know, we'll bring in we'll bring in the cans and see how they do. But I was like, a, a non-out draft, no. And then then I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, dry January, you get, half my staff doesn't drink during January. And that's unheard of in, a, in, in the bar business, especially craft bar business. Everyone, everyone's giving up, uh, you know, 
alcohol for January, and uh, and so my my bartenders were thrilled when I put it on because they're like, yeah, now we've got something we can you know that we can have. I think you know I, I get what Dry January is doing and things like that too, but I think it's kind of foolish to just dedicate one month of this to. It's more about creating a much healthier approach, alcohol via the course of the year and taking regular days off. I mean, I I, I try to take a day or two off from like no beer whatsoever at all, and I just think too like by having this one month magic bolt of readjustment, all of a sudden you can go back to like your whatever. I think that's that's why just like I fear with these messages they get kind of adopted widespread. It doesn't always lead to you know more drastic habit changes, and it's like well. I did that now I'm better I did I did the 30 I did the 30 day cleanse you know and right. it's like we love these short term fixes for all of our problems in our society instead of addressing things head on about what you can do on a daily basis to think about yourself well, we put it, we put it on for uh, we put it on on draft for uh, for dry January, and then we kept it up because we the more people I talked to were saying you know oh I you know I do I some people one guy told me he drinks one week he doesn't drink the next week drinks one week doesn't drink the next week and just goes back and forth like that and I was I I said well I've got 20 draft lines here we really strive to have a balanced board um, where we have all different styles of beer up there so we don't you know we it's not like you walk in and you say oh wow they've got 14 double uh, IPAs and three session IPAs and five regular IPAs. You know, we've got... You know what my wife does? She drinks her 12% red wine, which you forget how strong wine is. Guess what her off nights are? Allagash White. Okay. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to close this up. Ted, just qu- quickly, we're here on Orchard Street, your top ops location. We heard skateboarders go by and cars. What's going on tonight? Because so many things are happening at top ops all the time. Right. So tonight, Josh Bernstein is going to be uh, we're releasing you know, the release party for his book. He's going to be signing books drink here tonight. Better beer. Uh, drink this time. better beer. Drink better beer. Bill's here from uh, from Athletic, and we're going to be we're going to have a uh, a little contest for people where we're going to have uh, a four beer flight. Two of the beers are going to be alcohol. Two of the beers are going to be non alcohol. And the customers are going to have to figure out which one's which. And the people who do it correctly uh, are going to get some uh, some athletic beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For the low price. Of- That's great. Well, you guys feel great. And last thing, we, there's a lot of things we didn't talk about, drinking and driving. There's, there's, there's a lot of issues that, that this, there's another show in the works, I'm sure, for this. Uh, by the time we're listening to the show in January of 2020, we will have done a real proper uh, drink better beer book episode with Josh Bernstein in November, uh, yeah. which is in the works. And um, a lot of things are happening. So it's Happy New Year to you guys. It's January 2020 when you listen to this. Everyone, please, once again, say their name and, and you know why they're here. I'm Josh Bernstein. I'm here because Jimmy asked me. <laughs> and Christina from Top Ops and Serena. <laughs> Everybody wants you, Josh. Bill from Athletic. I will add on quickly that Josh's book has been a huge hit in our tap room. It's great. If you think you know what's been going on in beer in the last five years, you should check the book and make Drink sure you do. Drink better beer by Josh Drink better Bernstein. beer. I do, I, do a, I do a really terrible job of selling my own product. I'm very excited like how the book has been out there, too. And I think things have been moving so fast, and we never stop to think about where we're going. And I just really wanted to break down where we're at, how the industry is transforming, and will continue to transform in the next five to ten years. And, and Josh, just credit to you. What's really cool is, is your growth as a writer and an author now in this industry. There's so many times that I hear about a brewery that I never knew of, and I'm like, oh, I, I know of that brewery because Josh wrote about it. And I think that's a compliment to you. Thank you. All right, everybody else, let's go. Uh, Dan Lamana with Beer Karma uh, here because I'm a part of the New York City beer. uh, And you guys have good beer seals, too. Uh, We do. Beer Karma, yeah. And one last guy. 
Ted Kenny here at Top Hops, and uh, I'm here for, for, for Josh and Bill tonight, but I'm here every day. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Help put this show together. Um, producer Dylan Hoyer. Thanks to Serena Apple at the PR firm. Uh, engineers back at Heritage Radio Network who will clean it up with Dylan. And um, we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. <laughs> Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.